Hey, uh, good morning. How are you guys? Well, that is not good. That is not good. You guys must have gotten up on the wrong side of the bed. Uh, so I'll just tell you, it's great to be here because you applauded just because somebody used my name. And I, uh, I've become really, really needy as far as affirmation. Um, I don't know if you know this. Uh, I'm not sharing this for sympathy. Uh, but about three weeks ago, three, two weeks now, three, I don't know. Uh, I had a small stroke. Um, yeah, and it wasn't a stroke of luck. Like, there are different strokes. And that was, I'm, by the way, if you've experienced that, and I know there are people who have, uh, I am not making fun of the scenario, but it happened to me so I can make fun of what happened to me. And I want you to understand I'm not making light of it. So if you feel like you've got to uh, help gravitate my life to misery and pain um, because you've experienced it. I understand, but I, I get it, but I don't cope that way. So uh, I cope by laughing at things. And um, when, I, when I, I found out a couple things. First of all, when you uh, do have a stroke, they move you to the front of the line at the hospital, which is pretty good. It's just note that. Um, no matter what else happens, if it's a cold, flu, I'm gonna say it. And I, I have numbness on my left side straight through to the front of the line. Uh, the bad news is they keep you there for like four days. But um, I got in and uh, that was it. The thing that I liked about it, and I know you're saying, what could you possibly like about it? By the way, just in case you're worried, um, no long-term results. It was a small TIA. We were talking to my daughter and she said, TIA, Tia. That's a great name for a daughter. And so I think she might name her daughter after my stroke, which... <laughs> Uh, I don't know how I feel about that, really. I mean, yeah. So uh, I learned that everything in the hospital is, uh, is you, they give you letters for it all. That's because you can't pronounce any of it. But um, what I loved is no matter what I did, everybody congratulated me. So for the first couple of days, I'd go for a walk to the end of the hallway and people go, this is really good. And then I'd go up steps and it was like, man, they're going to give me a gold medal or something at the end of this. And I got home and that stopped. <laughs> like, <laughs> you ate all your food. Good job. <laughs> you want to go poo-poos? So um, I, I felt like a two-year-old and I just felt like, you know, I'm, I'm gracious. I'm thankful to God. Uh, I tell people I'm trusting and adjusting every day as I go. I had a weird scenario, though. Um, how many of you have spent a little more than a day in a hospital somewhere? So you're, you're like two or three days. That is not what I had imagined it would be. Up until this point, I'd never really spent a night there. Everything was outpatient and you know that kind of stuff. But when you're sleeping there, my assumption is, man, this is gonna be awesome. Nobody bugs you. I'm gonna watch TV all day long. I just, I'm gonna turn on the TV and just go, I'm gonna sit on one channel and see what the rest of the world is watching. I didn't turn the TV on one minute and every hour, somebody wakes you up. So I thought, man, this is not heaven. Um, I, and the bed's not all that comfortable. Please, somebody create a comfortable hospital. So um, water beds are out. What I learned is this, and I'm, again, not making fun of the scenario, just saying how it struck me as a person laying there. 
So they wake you up about every hour and they make sure that your motor functions are still working. And they were asking me questions that hadn't really been a problem up until they kept on repeating. I started to second guess myself. Like, what is my name? Why are they asking me this every hour? Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know what my birthday is. Please quit. So uh, <laughs> there was a nurse that I hadn't met. She's getting ready to go off her shift. Again, not making fun of her diagnosis, just making fun of how this struck me. And she came in at four o'clock in the morning. I realized two things. There are a couple different kinds of nurses. There's the kind of nurse that comes in and they're, uh, you know, vibrant and cool. And they, they dress like, hey, I'm going to go work out right now. And I, that's why I'm wearing the, that's, where, that's why I'm wearing my Crocs and this cool t-shirt. And I don't think you need to be here. That kind of nurse, which I like. And there's the other kind of nurse that dresses like she's coming in off the battlefield and she's a surgeon. And I don't mean that all nurses are she's, so please don't get after me for that. I, this one happened to be, she came in, she was wearing full scrubs, like face protection, shield, headdress. I mean, whatever else you gotta do if you're gonna be working in a MASH unit. And she came in, and it's four o'clock in the morning. I haven't met her yet. And here's how our conversation began. She's like, so... All of a sudden, when she put her hands on her hips and said, so, I thought, this woman is a, is a mix between Barney Fife and Megan. And by Megan, I mean me from Bridesmaids, a movie I shouldn't have watched. But uh, she was a combination. And she said, so, you're a new diabetic. And I felt like, yeah, I don't know if that feels like something I should be bragging about. I mean, it's not like an award or something, is it? She said, let me tell you the secret of diabetes. I'm like, it's four o'clock in the morning. Maybe it's sleep. <laughs> Maybe it's to stop eating the hospital food. I just, whatever it is, she says, so let me tell you, the key is your feet. I'm like, the key is my feet. All right. And then she went, what happens is you cut yourself, you stub your toe, something wrong happens. Gangrene, amputation. Four o'clock in the morning, I've never met her before. I'm like, I'm not a medical professional, but it seems like there's some middle ground between stubbing my toe and cutting my leg off. Like from everything I've ever seen, gangrene, I think there's a smell or something associated with it. I generally at least shower before the amputation, whatever. And again, I'm not making fun of this because I actually have a friend who lost his leg to diabetes. I'm not making fun of it. It just struck me at four o'clock as a weird introduction to uh, Nurse Marge. I don't know what her name was. And if your name is Marge, I'm sorry I offended you. It's amazing to me how, uh, how funny life hits us, right? Because I wasn't expecting that. I was assuming something different. I started the week assuming what I always assume, which is this week's going to be like the last week. And tonight, uh, today, that's not a result of the stroke. That's just a result of me, me being in Indianapolis yesterday and traveling a lot. But this morning, what I want to speak about is assuming on God. And what I mean by that is that we as Christians have assumptions. We have a lot of assumptions in life. Uh, here's my thing. We know that God has promised to answer my prayer. We know that God has promised that he will always be with us. 
We know that God has said, I will never leave you and never forsake you. We know that God has said he will forgive our sins. He'll administer grace. He'll administer mercy. That we live in the power of the resurrection. That there is blood shed for us and it changes everything. We know that and we assume on it. Assumption means that I, I'm entitled to it. If you've ever heard me speak, and I've spoken here probably about 150 times over the last 20 years, something like that, this is kind of a theme. We as Christians are entitled because of the blood of Christ, but we're not really entitled. We're heirs, and there's work to do, and there's stuff between. And so during this uh, process, I've been seeking God's heart. Lord, what do you want me to learn? And it seems like he said this, don't assume that I'm about the business of doing what you want. Don't assume that. But I do have that assumption. Every time I pray, hey, we're good with this, right, God? I mean, we're good. I was talking to a young man uh, not too long ago, and uh, his assumption is that he's good with Christ. He's good with Jesus. It's amazing to me how many people I talk to who assume they're good with Jesus. But when I listen to them tell me what's going on in their life, I know that they're not. And I wonder what happened. How far do we get away? How do we get away from knowing the heart of Christ? How do, how do churches stray from what Christ actually wants and become something that Christ would be embarrassed by? How do we as people live our lives in faith and then we end up in trouble because we assume that this, this area of our life that is just wrecked and chaotic, is, it's okay with Jesus? Because I'm going to tell you that Jesus wants to minister peace and he wants to minister power and redemption comes at the expense of Christ. But the application of our lives. Does that make sense? Here's, uh, here's what C.S. Lewis said. I, I love this quote. He said, God designed the human machine to run on himself. I love that statement. God designed the human machine to run on himself. Then he goes on. He himself is the fuel for our spirits and we're designed to burn it or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There's no other. That's why, just, that's why it is just not good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about, bad word, religion. That's practical application of my faith. Then he says this, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. And then he says, there is no such thing. This incredible quote by C.S. Lewis essentially said this, and I heard it uh, re-quoted in, uh, in a different poem. It was in a song, and it said this, perhaps God is less concerned with my happiness than his glory. I assume on God all the time. There's a great text, and I want to spend some time in it in a second, but I wonder if you guys assume, because I do. Uh, when I went to the hospital, I, you know, people are saying, wasn't, wasn't there some kind of sign? I'm like, well, not until my left side stopped working. 
I, I thought my leg and my arm just had gone numb while I was sleeping. And they, everybody tells me that's odd that you're asleep and you wake up and, you know, something's wrong. But, um, but it was. I assumed when I went to bed that everything was going to be the same as it was when I went to bed. But when I got up, I, I was working my way furniture to furniture piece to go to the bathroom. And, uh, and I'm like, I, you know, something seems to be wrong. That's when I woke my wife up and said, honey, you know, I think we've got a problem here. My leg's not waking up. And um, we assume health until it's not there. I assume that my relationship with my wife is good. My relationship with my husband is good until it's not. I assume that my kids are happy with their relationship with Christ until they're not. I assume that my boss is happy with my work until he's not. I assume that my work ethic is good enough until I find out it wasn't. I'll tell you, we assume on everything until tragedy or crisis hits. Anybody there? Or something's not working the way you thought it would? It might be because we are assuming on God. Uh, there are a couple things that I've learned. Uh, so we assume a lot, we're creatures of habit. And I made this list of things that we can assume. This is my wisdom for the, for the week. Don't ever assume that, <clears throat> that you have a better answer than the person who just asked the question. You know, a lot of times people ask rhetorical questions and you try and give them a really wise answer and you find out that they're really, really a lot smarter than you and you've just spoken gibberish. I find that a lot. I, I, did, a, uh, I did a podcast with a sports guy. It's called, uh, I think it's called... Uh, pastors in sports or religion in sports or something like that. Got to do a podcast and we were talking and they thought because I was a hockey fan, I knew something about hockey. Uh, and it, uh, I was there with the, one of the former Detroit Pistons, loved being, uh, his name was Earl Curitan. And uh, that was fun, but they were asking questions about basketball. And I thought, I'm a fan. I know nothing. I really don't. I don't even want to answer these questions. Don't assume. Don't assume that because a person works at a gas station, they know how to get somewhere in your car. Now, I know most of you are like, no, no, we have GPS now. I never ask gas station attendants. But some of us, how many of you would admit that you will ask a stranger how to get somewhere because they're somewhere reasonably close? I still do it. I'll pull up to a stranger and I'll say, hey, can you tell me how to get to in there? They have no idea. And then they do a lot of hand gesturing and you just think, well, forget it. I'm just going to circle the town until I find it. Don't assume that you put the right hotel address into GPS. You end up in Memphis instead, trying to get into a hotel that's three hours away from where you actually wanted to go. Don't assume that an inch actually means an inch when you're buying pants. True. <laughs> there should be a standard measurement of inches for pants, I think. Just everybody has the same concept. I like stretch pants because that helps me, you know, gives me some some squish room. All right. Don't assume that the mirror that you're looking at is what everybody else sees because you find a good angle. <laughs> I don't know about you, but man, if I find a good mirror that really doesn't project the accurate picture, I'm going to stand in that mirror for a long time. I think I look pretty good. Don't assume that God answers your prayers based on your opinions. You ever prayed one of those? Don't assume that all you can eat is the same as all you want to eat. <laughs> all you can eat sometimes is something decidedly different. Don't assume that a smiling face is the same thing as a friendly face. Smiles can be deceptive. Don't assume that they all heard you because they probably didn't. Don't assume that saying, am I right, 
is the same thing as people actually thinking that you are. If you've ever had that conversation with somebody who's like, am I right? And you just don't want to get in the argument. So you're like, absolutely. Whatever you just said. <laughs> I see this going badly for you, but go ahead. Post that everywhere. <laughs> Never assume that you'll find your keys in the last place you left them. <laughs> there are other people and forces at work. <laughs> Sometimes I put stuff down and I find it in the weirdest drawers like in refrigerators and stuff. And I'm like, I am pretty sure I did not put my glasses in the drawer of the freezer. <laughs> may have fallen off or may have happened during the stroke. I don't know. Strokes are my cue for everything. I can just say, I don't know. I just had a stroke. Oh, take a, take a, take a seat, rest. <laughs> All right. Never assume that a stupid person knows it. <laughs> that may be my favorite. <laughs> If I am that person, please don't tell me. I like ignorance and bliss. Don't assume that you're going the right way. And don't assume that what you're doing has always worked, that it's going to work again. Life is not static. It does not always happen the same way. And spiritually, life is not static. It doesn't happen the same way. If you guys uh, follow along in scripture, I want you to look up John 16, 17 through 26. And uh, this, this passage is critical. I love when people have their Bibles. I mark my Bibles. I take notes in my Bible because, uh, you know, I can't have uh, PowerPoint screens or whatever, you know, media shout or whatever it is. I don't have that with me everywhere. So I take that book and it's great because I remember what my notes are. I've written in them. It says this in John chapter 16, verse 17 through 26. And remember, remember what's happening. Jesus is transitioning out. Jesus is preparing his disciples for the next. One of the great assumptions that the disciples had is that it is always going to be like we've had it. We're going to walk with Jesus. Jesus is going to rise in ascendancy. He's going to take the throne of Jerusalem and we are going to be his, his big guys. That's who we're going to be. But that wasn't the right assumption. It says this in verse 17, then some of Jesus' disciples, some of his disciples asked one another, why is he telling us in a little while, you'll not see me. I guess if there's something that I want to start with, it's this. Why would Jesus tell you in a little while things are going to change? I've discovered that my life is a series of transitions. And it's not that transition happens. It's that I am always in transition. I'm always a day older. There's always something on the horizon. There's always something new that's going to happen, whether it's politically or whether it's spiritually, whether it's physically or whether it's something going on in my family. I'm always in transition. I'll tell you at uh, Crossroads, uh, we're always in transition. There's something happening new. Anything alive is in transition. As a family, we're in transition. Dawn and I have, uh, we've been empty nesting. And what we figure that means is empty nesting, then not empty nesting, then empty nesting, then everybody comes back. And then, and then people go, you got an extra room. And they're there and you don't even know who they are. You didn't even really want them in the nest. But there they are again. And I love that, the concept of them, because I have a daughter and talk about transition. My oldest daughter is heading to New York and law school. And they're in transition because they live in Marion, Indiana, and rent, surprisingly, is more expensive in New York City. <laughs> they're looking at one-bedroom apartments with no AC at $2,000 a month. And if you're in law school, you're like, 
I don't know what I'm going to have to do. Maybe sell my husband. And they're bright and they're good and they're smart. That's a transition. And I find myself saying, do you have to go to, I mean, really, New York? Really? And she said, well, Dad, that's where the UN is and that's where I'm headed. And I'm like, all right, all right, all right. My other daughter's in Mississippi. She's an actress. Life is transition for her. Life is drama and transition for her. Sometimes it's comedy, transition, and drama all at the same time. She was doing a concert uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it was a truth. Anybody remember the old band Truth? They were around for a million years. Um, and so she said, I was, she said, Dad, I was in a room, and we were performing, and it was the Truth Reunion concert. And she said, so all these people from Truth, she said, there was everybody there. She said, the Gaithers were there, the only people I recognized. She said, the Gaithers were there. And then Natalie Grant was there, and she's gotten older. And then she said, and then there are people from Little Big Town who are part of Truth, and there are people from Avalon who are part of Truth, and there are people from For Him, and they're part of Truth, and there are people who are on solo careers, and they were in Truth. And she said, and they came up to us, and they're like, you're the new Truth girls. And she's like, yeah, I guess I am. Who are you? She said it was rude to look at their name tags. And then she left that concert, got in the car, and she had a contract in Mississippi. And so she was gone. She said, I don't even have time to unpack transition. As a dad, you're like, my youngest daughter is traveling through the South, and I'm in transition too. My middle daughter is in transition because Crossroads Farm in Harrison County is launching in October. Great stories. And my daughter is a part of our national team, but she lives in Harrison County. And so I see her, then I don't see her, then I see her, then I don't see her. Transition. I've got to tell you a funny story. So Harrison County is starting, and there is a man of peace there. Don't worry, I'll tie this in. And he uh, is singly responsible for bringing Crossroads Farm to Harrison County, a little town called Caddis. And uh, he said, what do I need to do? He's a man of some means. And so we told him, well, here's what you do. You pray, you talk to pastors. He talked to pastors. He gained the pastoral support. He started going to their churches. He started haunting them. He started, literally, he was stalking pastors. Like, and uh, he got our team together. He pulled that group together in a, in a passion of prayer. And Crossroads will start. But we start with a murder mystery. Caddis, Ohio does not have corn crop. But this man said, we will have a field with corn. And so he started looking for a farmer, couldn't find a farmer, found a field, bought the field. No kidding. He's buying and moving land. And then he said, you know, there's a problem with the field where we're going to plant the corn. There's a river that runs through it. I didn't know this was legal. So he moved the river. (laughs) It was a small river, maybe just a mountain stream. But still, he moved it and they're getting ready to plant. uh, They've planted a cornfield so there will be a corn maze so that there will be a murder mystery, so that there will be hundreds of students in that field running around with no purpose at all. But Jesus has a purpose, and they'll hear the gospel in October in Harrison County, Ohio. In in Kalkaska, we're in transition. We're in a slightly more than $1 million renovation project of the bowling lanes. You can be a part of that. Our information's on the table. That's no hard sell. But if you want to move the kingdom forward, I'll tell you, I know a couple places where a few dollars moves it forward. We're in transition. I'm in transition. I've had to change a million things about me. And as I get older, I realize I'm even more in transition. Here's what the Bible says. In a little while, you'll not see me. 
in the same way. That's my parentheses. In a little while, you'll not see me in the same way. In a little while, God's relationship with you will have shifted in a little while. He goes on, let me read the whole passage at a take. He says, why is he telling us in a little while you'll not see me? And then after a little while, you will see me. That seems counterproductive. But because I'm going to the father, they kept asking, why is he saying a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Verse 19, aware that they wanted to question him, Jesus said to them, are you asking one another why I said in a little while? That's one of those great statements, right? Why are you talking to each other about what I'm doing? I'm in the room. And my question is, why do we have so many spiritual conversations about what God is doing without engaging God himself through the person of Christ in what he is doing? Why is it that we don't want to wait on the answer that will come from God himself in the person of Jesus Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit? Why am I not resting in him for the answers, but instead uh, I've got a problem with my marriage and I need to solve it. I need to ask some other people what I need to do. Why when I'm struggling relationally? Why when I'm struggling spiritually? Why when I'm struggling in my own personal disciplines do I feel like I need everybody else's opinion. And Jesus stands on the fringe of our life and says, are you guys talking about me? It's a weird thing. I'm in the room. Hey, ask me. I was talking to my son-in-law just yesterday. And in this transition to New York, he said, I feel like I need a week to seek God's face, to know our next step. And I went, any way I can help you get that? Here's what it says, Jesus. Why are you asking each other in a little while? And then he said, and then after a little while, you'll see me. He says this, he says, truly, 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 I tell you, you'll weep and wail while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman has pain in childbirth because her time has come. But when she brings forth her child, she forgets her anguish because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. So also, verse 22, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. Here's the promise of God. He said, and I love this. And no one will take away your joy. Verse 23, in that day, you'll no longer ask me anything in that day. You'll no longer ask me anything. You'll get it. You'll see it. You'll hear it. Truly, truly, I tell you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Until now. You haven't asked God for anything. Take a minute. What are you asking God for? Is it possible that you've been talking about what Jesus wants to give you, but not asking Jesus to give you? And maybe some of you have been deliberately laboring in prayer, deliberately spending time focusing on what God might have for you. But I'm going to ask you, stay there until he answers. Stay in his presence there's a key here. Verse 25, I've spoken these things to you in figures of speech, but an hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in this way, but I'll tell you plainly about the Father. Here's the kicker. In that day, you will ask in my name. 
I'm not saying that I'll ask the Father on your behalf. Weird statement. What Jesus was saying is this, you are praying in my name and I, the son of the living God, as a part of the triunity of God, will grant your requests. I hear so many Christians who pray, Father, and we should, but in Christ, the answer is yes. Because Christ saying to his disciples, there will be a day, and brothers and sisters, we're in that day when Christ grants the request because he's God. Do you get the distinction here? That's deep. So what am I doing with this? Well, I'm a creature of habit. That's my deal. I repeat the thing that I always do. I live my spiritual life the way I lived my spiritual life. I do relationships the way I do relationships. It's why I keep on having the same arguments. It's why I keep on making the same mistakes. It's why, because I'm a creature of habit. We're designed that way. If you have any questions about it, just uh, check yourself. Whenever you go to a restaurant, you've been there for 7,000 times, and you look at the menu like something new is going to pop up and just amaze you. You're just waiting. Uh, let's see. I'm at McDonald's here. I don't see the eggs Benedict for breakfast. I'm looking for something with asparagus in it. Nope, don't see that. And by the time, you're, we're so pressurized by the immediate, we're so pressurized by what's happening, and it's the pressure. There are people behind me, and they want me to order, and it's McDonald's, and I don't know, and there's so many things on the menu. What happened when it was just a hamburger place? And I get stressed, and you know what I do? I order what I've always ordered. How about you? Oh, I've spent 20 minutes looking at the menu, like there are gonna be 18 flavors of shake, wrong restaurant. <laughs> I do what I've always done. And the problem is that I'm assuming on God's presence when I do what I've always done. There is a time when I don't speak for God, but I think I am. I'll tell you, I watch social media and I think we are so full of ourselves that we post our own opinions as if it's God's. And I will tell you, brothers and sisters, we are in sin because we are speaking as the body of Christ, as if God picks sides. I'm not saying there's not right and wrong and I'm not saying there isn't sin, but I'm gonna tell you that there is a way to deal with sin. I'm gonna explain it in a second but I'm gonna guarantee it's not a really good heated debate. Jesus only did that with the Pharisees and he'd given up on them. When we are walking in the wrong direction, assuming we're in the right way. I love this in Luke chapter two, verses 44. Luke two, 44 scenario is, uh, you know, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, they're in Jerusalem, they're celebrating, he's 12 years old, he's hanging out with family. If you've ever been to a massive family reunion where there are a lot of people, you understand how this happens. My wife and I have done it ourselves. And it says this, when those days were over and they were returning home, the boy Jesus remained behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware that he had stayed. 12-year-old kid stays in the big city, parents don't know he's there. I mean, I left my daughter at a church nursery once and went halfway home. I mean, you're driving, you're like, it is so quiet, isn't it? Oh, no. <laughs> I wasn't so afraid that my daughter was going to be marked, but I was pretty sure that the person working in the nursery was. 
They left Jesus behind. I want to say this because I don't want it to happen to you. Assuming on God, assuming on Christ means that we've kept on walking and we've left Jesus behind. I've assumed I'm right. I've assumed my prayer life is on target. I'm telling you that my prayer life in these last weeks as we walked by the prayer chapel every day and I made a vow to God, I said, I'm going to stop in this prayer chapel before I start my day and I'm going to start it in hearing you. I sit down and I look at those beautiful windows that look out onto that cross and I just start my day by saying, what today? I'm not really in control of anything. What today? Who today? What words today? What encouragement today? What sin today? And God has never failed to reveal himself in just those quiet moments where he is my entire focus. I'm walking in the wrong direction. I leave Jesus behind. Or maybe when God's spirit is no longer on me. I've been living in sin and I assume that God's still with me. The friend that I told you said he was okay with Jesus. I was talking to him and I said, so how, are you, how do you feel you're doing spiritually? I asked him that because I know how he's doing. I know that based on his life. I'll just tell you, he, he lives with his girlfriend. He talks as fast as he can because if he, if he calms down, if he slows down, we contend there are a million people like this. They're so busy spinning plates, the pain of life is not catching up. And they're going to keep running. Maybe you're like that. Keep spinning the plates. Keep juggling the balls. And he said, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, talking fast. Just, I don't mean, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to get married again. I, I made that mistake already. I'm not going to make that mistake again. You know, I'm just, I mean, you know, we love each other. We love each other. And he just talking as fast as he can. He said, I don't know. He called, you know, living in sin, whatever you call it. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't matter. You know, I know I'm good with Jesus. I talk with him every day. I'm like, yeah, but Jesus died for the sin that you're living in. You're not Okay. He didn't die so we continue in our sin. He died so we're released from our sin. Because, listen to this, because the assumption is that whatever I do is okay. And the truth is that Jesus died because whatever I do is sin. And in him, I'm given grace and I'm given mercy. That doesn't mean that everything I do is wrong. What it means is that given my own device, I turn everything to sin. I turn every motivation to sin. I run to sin. I want sin. I gravitate to sin. After a stroke, I know what I'm not supposed to eat. I'm going to tell you, I want donuts. <laughs> I'm drawn by donuts. At the wedding last night that we were at, uh, just north of Indy, I sit down at my table. I am 12 feet from the dessert table. It is a pegboard of my favorite donuts, 12 feet away. I'm like, seriously, God? Listen, there's a difference. Uh, Samson got up. Samson, long-haired Samson, strong Samson, guy who has these great stories of killing a thousand men, takes the jawbone of a donkey, not because he liked it as a weapon of choice, but because it was handy. If you can kill somebody with whatever's there, you're a real man, or, or scary, either way. 
And the Bible says that he was so used to God's spirit being on him that when they cut his hair, the vow that he'd made before God, he got up and the Bible uses a phrase. If I was going to call this sermon anything, it would be this, as at other times. I wake up this morning and I assume that life is going to be as at other times. That my health is going to be as at other times. My family was going to be as at other times. My job was going to be as at other times. But it's not because life's not static. And in Samson's case, he'd wandered so far from being with Christ, from being with God, that the Spirit had left him. And he rose up and he didn't even know it. I contend that so many of us rise up in the morning just like Samson. And we assume we're going to cruise through the day with the power of the Spirit of living God in us and around us. He's in you. But you've muted him. And so I need to learn to depend on him. There's a difference between assuming on him and depending on him. Assuming means he's always there. Let me give you a clear example. I have uh, a family member. He walked into our house this week. He walked up to a platter of cake and he helped himself to three pieces. My wife came in. She didn't know. She's like, what happened to the cake I was going to serve for dessert? You know, he was already gone. That's assumption, right? Walk into someone else's home, even though he's family. He could have asked. We might have said, hey, maybe something else besides the dessert for tonight, for the group of people we have coming over. But there was an assumption there. Depending means I'm coming to dinner. I'm assuming you're going to have cake. There's a food theme in my life right now. It's just reoccurring. <laughs> Isaiah 50.10 says this, and I love this. Isaiah 50.10, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. I'm going to share this with you because I think this was earth shattering for me. I depend on God. I depend on his nature and his character. I don't depend on the results that I imagine. There's a difference. I've heard people make excuses for their sin. I've got a rap, so here's my rap. God's words are true. Depend on his word. God's actions are kind. Depend on his actions. God's power is evident. Depend on his power. How do I get there? Here's how. In, uh, in God's word, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, after a passage of scripture where he itemizes what it's like to walk in his spirit, verse 25 says this, so key, let us keep in step with the spirit. Not ahead, not chasing behind, but keeping in step with the Spirit. Every day I submit my will to His. The difference is this, if I'm trying to teach myself how to swing a baseball bat and I'm a four-year-old, I'm gonna do it wrong. 
but keeping in step with my coach means that a coach will hold the bat over my shoulders because I'm, I'm four, five, six. He'll show me where to put my hands and he'll put his hands over my hands and he'll pull the bat back over my shoulder and he'll show me how to move my foot forward and he'll move with me and he'll show me what a swing is like. My hands in his hands. My minutes are his minutes. Everyone has told me since the stroke, hey, slow down. There are two ways to think that. If this is all I have, this world is all I have, and I'm afraid of losing it, then I'll do whatever it takes to keep whatever I've got. It's assumption. But as a believer in Christ, I realize there's a difference, and it's that every minute is his. He didn't try and take me out and miss. Instead, he showed me the importance of this breath, this prayer, this passage, this moment with my spouse, this minute with my kids, this time with my neighbors, keeping in step with the Spirit. And when I get ahead, I do stupid things. Or when I fall behind, it's because I'm not paying attention. Do something radical. Do something crazy. Shake up your life. And start the rest of today, minute by minute. Stand in front of the person who's waiting on you at a restaurant or serving you in a gas station or a kid who's standing in front of you and asking you a question or a spouse who's made you mad one more time. And ask the Spirit of God, what now? My prayer is that we keep in step with the Spirit. Let me pray for you. Lord God, we run ahead all the time. Father God, we fall behind. Lord, your time isn't my time. I want you to hurry. <laughs> I want you to wait. Lord, teach me to walk with you. Lord, for my brothers and my sisters, I pray that you teach them to walk with you. You have such great things that you'll give to us in your stride. Father, let us trust you, be quiet in front of you, and wait on you. In Jesus' name, amen.